10 lessons for the white sons we might have. 10 things we don't have to say, but must teach because you. Because if we don't, every inch you grow could be another nightmare you'll give somebody. One, when you're crossing the street, it's a privilege to only have to look both ways. You'll seldom have to worry about what's behind you. In fact, you, you might be the reason someone else can't stop looking over their shoulder. Two, Two, when you fall off your razor scooter, you'll always have a band-aid the same color as you. Even as you get older, you'll be able to patch up any and damage, damage you, you make. Your band-aid boxes will teach you that excuses aren't made for melanin. Three, for every art project that tells you to draw pictures of your classmates, there will be a crayon marked apricot or salmon or peach. Your, your friends, friends will call it skin. Pay attention to how early you learn to label colors. Four, when you play cops and robbers in the schoolyard, you will always find yourself grappling the gun. Your hands will not be created to hold consequences. You'll too often notice objects shaped like pistols. You will be born with trigger fingers. Five, the first time you have a crush on a girl at school. Don't you dare pull her hair or throw things at her. Because your teachers will have no problem convincing you that abuse comes with love. Hello and welcome to Just Talk Educational Equity, the podcast about social justice and how it relates to everything education. Today's episode is on the topic of courageous conversations in the classrooms with special guest Matthew R.K., author of the book, Not Light But Fire. I'm your host, Tony Neal. And I'm your co-host, Deborah Bullman. To lead off, we are listening to a spoken word performance by Veronica Nosella and Otter Young Allen entitled Letter to My Future White Son, performed at a spoken word competition in 2014, sponsored by Youth Speaks. Let's hear the rest. And setting a relationship on fire is just another candlelit dinner. Six, when you get older, your friends will start repeating their parents word for word. Take note, their living room commentary doesn't have to be yours. Do not let your privilege sit amongst the throw pillows. Seven, the first time you walk past a girl you find attractive. And boys will be boys, courses through your veins. Like, like adolescence, like instincts, like something inherently lethal. Swallow your whistle. Even if they burn the back of your throat. Feel the comments rot in your mouth. Get used to the flavor, just like she has. Eight, if a sexual assault joke, triple dog dares itself out of your mouth. Feel how uncomfortably it sits in the air around you. Take note of how much pain was trying to settle there before you scattered it. Tampering with leftover wounds is an act of violence. Nine, the first time you're stopped by a cop, he will see a rambunctious teen with too much time on his hands. A good kid who made a mistake. He will not see thug. You will not think thrust. You will think, father, think, haven't I seen you around? Think, this shouldn't take long. The first time you're stopped by a cop, you, you get, get to come, come home. Ten, we know the boys will draw influence from. We've, We've seen, seen too many to ignore what you're capable of. of. I don't want you feeling guilty for an existence you can't help. But I don't want you to become another boy I would cringe at. You'll be constantly reminded of how much you can conquer, of how much space has already been stolen for you. You'll never have to concern yourself with the aftermath of your left. Society will teach you that the existence of other people is your playground. Oppression is your jungle gym. And the schoolyard bully claiming king at the top will look exactly like you, and you will not be raised to step on the rungs with fingers curled around them. You'll be raised in a world where you don't have to look at the kids who have fallen if it makes you uncomfortable. But in my house, you'll learn to help them up and not expect thank yous. To be an ally, like your life depends on it, because it doesn't, but it should. To the white sons we might have, you will not be silent in the face of destruction. Not under my roof. One, two, three, four, five. So that's that performance by these two really young girls looking at white privilege, white male privilege specifically. Wow. 
I guess what I was thinking of is the letter that I need to write to my black son. And sometimes that's kind of considered the talk that we often have. And it's, uh, I mean, everything that was said there is like, I need to teach my son how to be prepared to face what they're talking about uh, in terms of the letter to their white son. You know, and that is the kind of thing that we're used to hearing. And really, if every mom of a white son is having this conversation with their sons, that's 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 where the responsibility lies. Yeah. That's the cause of racism. That's the cause of the isms and the oppression there. Absolutely. And then the, just think of the fear and the hurt and the pain on the other side mm-hmm. you know, that's being caused. Boy, wouldn't that be an interesting um conversation to to tape and to roll with absolutely absolutely i wonder if that's uh almost an activity you could do with some students you know um right letters to our future Future. sons letters to our future future daughters daughters. yes and what kind of dialogue that could be yes maybe that's a project that we'll work on (laughs) maybe it is it sure connects to uh, the book that we are going to look at today yes absolutely This performance is one that Matthew Kay writes about in his book, Not Light But Fire, that we are going to talk about today. He was one of the mentors for this slam group from Philadelphia, and in his book he traces the risks and rewards they experienced when going public with their words. The performance won the competition and went on to become viral within a month. You can find a link to the podcast at our website. Go to EEC Resources, the number four, Justice. Dot com for that link. Let's get started on our deep dive. Today's episode is about courageous conversation in classrooms. And to get us started, we have the author of the 2018 book, Not Light But Fire, How to Have Meaningful Race Conversations in the Classroom. Matthew Kay has spent his career learning how to lead students through the most difficult race conversations. He not only makes the case that high school classrooms are one of the best places to have these conversations, but he also offers a method of getting them right. Matthew R.K. is a proud product of Philadelphia's public schools and a founding teacher of Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia. He teaches English and drama and is the founder and director of the Philly Slam League. He is also a Sunday school teacher and the boys' baseball coach. Basketball, Tony. Oh, I'm sorry. Basketball (laughs) coach, yes. And school's athletic director. Mr. K., welcome to Just Talk. Hello. Thanks for having me. So just before we start talking uh, about uh, conversation, I want to know, how is your team doing? Is it playoff season for you? Uh, yeah, we made the playoffs, but we lost in the first round. Well, congratulations for getting there. Uh, I know it's yeah. more than the win and loss record, so congrats. Thank you. So what led you to choose to write this much-needed book? How, how did you get going on this path? Well, the short version of it is I did a presentation at our school's conference on race conversations with a colleague of mine, and it was pretty well-received. And then... Um, uh, when my, uh, just about a year or so later, uh, someone from Stenhouse, my, my publisher called my principal, um, with an idea for, you know, does just asking him if he knew anyone who could write, um, a book about, you know, race conversations. And, uh, I happened to be in the office to chat about sports with him. And he poked his head out of the office and said, do you want to write a book? And that's how wow. that happened. <laughs> it's and, it's and, not uh, yeah 
I was going to say, it's not always that uh, somebody gets an opportunity to write a book about conversation based on their uh, conversations about sports with their principal. Yeah, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I, you know, it was pretty well received and it was going, you know, it, it, I had gotten some good feedback on the session, but that was, that was kind of the end of it. And then, um, and then the opportunity came and I took advantage of it. Well, I one of the things I mentioned to you, you know, I was a teacher for 40 years in uh, English classrooms and, um, you know, leading discussions of all sorts, including about race. And I was telling you, you know, if I had had your book 20 years ago, I just think my uh, practice would have been elevated, you know, so much sooner. So I'm really excited that that book is out there. And I really uh, hope a lot of people get in touch with it. Yeah, I wish I would have had it as a high school principal. I'm sure that uh, I could have used some of the words of wisdom that are mentioned. Uh, you, you write about magic teachers here uh, when it comes to leading difficult conversations in the classroom. Can you talk a little bit about exactly what do you mean when you say magic teachers? Um, well, I think that there's a, lot, there's a lot of myth-making out there about uh, these kind of teachers um, can lead conversations and these kind of teachers can't. And it might not be directly communicated, but it's um, just in the culture. We have this idea of, you know, the super teacher who can, you know, who gives up everything in their life to go help the kids and uh, all of those things. And they're super personable, super uh, 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 charismatic, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we make movies about them and, um, I remember when I was an undergrad, I even had, you know, we even read the Freedom Writers and we read, you know, we watched some movies and they were even like put out there as like, we should be like this teacher. And while there's nothing wrong with, with, with that aspiration, it does alienate, I think, a lot of teachers who are not that person and, um, and who might self identify as a little bit shy or they're a little bit risk adverse or they're you know and that kind of myth making sets them up to always be looking at the teacher down the hall and thinking I'll never be like that person and um, I think that not enough people are speak about that and I wanted to make it clear from the beginning that I think that anyone who's willing to put in the work can have meaningful race conversations in their classroom regularly they can have a culture of, uh, of meaningful conversations. Um, and it doesn't depend on how charismatic you are or how iconoclastic you are, or, you know, how, verbo- how verbose you are. Um, how, you know, it, it's, it depends on a method. And I tried to lay out in the book a method that um, any teacher who loves kids and is willing to put in the work can do. That's one of the things I really appreciated about um, what you were writing, um, helping to, a dialogic teacher to develop in their skills. I think there's such a temptation. I mean, I call those teachers the cult teachers, you know, where they've got a following of students who are hanging out with them. Um, and and I think, you know, any most of us will start off in the profession very well-intentioned. And then I feel as if that 
there's a temptation sometimes, you know, for people to sort of cross that line into um, sort of feeding their own ego instead of looking out for what's best for students. And um, this book really helps us to stay focused on what's good for students and how anyone can provide that who's willing to, you know, work on their practice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we need... The problems are real, and the, so we need as many well-intentioned people to be playing the game. We can't have people just taking themselves out all the time. Um, I think super important. And the more we talk about teachers, you know, born who are born to do the work, and et cetera, and we, the more we don't speak about teachers who are developing their skills, um, the more like the more it likely it is that people continually just decide to opt out of having those kind of conversations in class because they think they don't have the chops to do it, which I think is, does the kids a disservice. I think it would be very helpful if some of the schools of education would start to implement programs uh, as teachers are going through their training to become teachers, you know, how do you have these conversations? Because many times it's once you've been on that journey for five, six, seven, eight, nine years that you enter uh, feeling comfortable having those conversations with students. So uh, perhaps that's another space that uh, we all should consider um, in terms of moving the, the needle forward, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I know I didn't have, well, I'll put it this way. I think, it might not be schools of education's fault. Um, I think there's a lot of things in our profession that just go unexamined. And I think the how to have quality conversations uh, about race or any other particularly sensitive topic is just unexamined. I think people know why we should have them. And there's a developing consensus among people of goodwill that we should be having conversations about race, but how to is a completely different um, uh, uh, thing. And I don't think there's actually enough people who even have attempted to teach how to. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, it's not their fault. It's just, you know, few people taught them. Right. And even a lot of things that, start off promising how to end up in a Y space. And the Y spaces generally, you know, reflect on your privilege, reflect on, you know, where the kids are coming from, um, have a socially responsive, racially responsive curriculum. And that's it. And that's, and you know, that doesn't, that's not particularly that complicated. Um, and uh, that's why I try to, in my book, start from a place of you have reflected upon your privilege. You have, thought about that all the kids are important. You have put value, you know, you have recognized their inherent value. Now what? Like, what actually do you do when you have, like, 33 kids in front of you and you're trying to do a conversation? That's where I wanted to start instead of, you know, the internal work of dealing with your own stuff. It's like, what about your practice itself can help you have these conversations? <clears throat> right, right. So how do you convince your uh, administration in some re respects that this is an important area to um, introduce to students or to introduce in the classrooms, having these conversations? I ask the question because oftentimes as we go into schools, 
Uh, sometimes we hear the principal or administrator saying, we're not at that point or we're, we're not ready for these conversations yet. And my question is, when do you ever get ready to have these conversations? And so I'm sure that there's some resistance from time to time or some struggle uh, in trying to move classrooms to a space of having these conversations. Um, what does that look like for you and how do you um, manage that? Um, to tell the truth, that's not my purview. Like I work with folks who are trying to do better and want to have the conversation. That's kind of who I focus on. Um, and I think, you know, anyone who says like they're not ready for to have the conversations, I think that's a fraudulent, that's fraudulent. Like that means that you are, what you're really saying is that you don't want to deal with any blowback or you don't want to deal with any complications that might have from addressing whatever comes from teaching things about brown people. You just don't want to deal with it. I think that's, that's what the more honest version of that is, um, is that, you know, it's, and so I, what I always say is that there's a lot of books for them to read before they get to mine. Like if you're still in a, like, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're there's there's a there's a whole library of things that you need to encounter if you're still struggling over the why of it, like why we should do it, why it's important, why all kids need to learn about different cultures and discuss them meaningfully, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's a, there's a list of books that. I couldn't even begin to enter that conversation. A lot of people smarter than me are having that conversation. My thing is for people who have already decided that they want to do it. Now, if you've decided you want to do it and you're nervous, but you don't feel equipped, you don't have the right tools, I tried to write a book for you. Like if you know that race conversations are important for all students and you have no idea how to start, that's where I come in. That's where I want to be. But if you're still in a denial place where you're like, convince me that we need to talk about race in this world at this time. If you need that convincing, you're not a scholar. Oh. Like there's, there's, there's no way that you need to be convinced that we need to be discussing race in 2019. There's, there's right. where, <laughs> right. pull your head out of the sand. There's, there's absolutely no, um, and I understand that there are places like that. I'm not, I'm I understand that that's a massive issue. I just think that this, race conversations are not a catch-all and I will get, I want to stay in my depth and hmm. you, um, I'm not a race whisperer. Like if you <laughs> have an essentially racist stance, which is what that is. Yes. If you have an essentially racist stance that you don't need, convince me that we need to talk about what is plainly apparent, then I have not written that book. Right. You know, uh, that that's not for, uh, Yeah, I've not written that book. You have to read something else and then you get to mine. You know, and I encounter this with teachers, you know, when we're doing training that is provided by and really mandated by a school district. And then teachers will say, oh, no, won't I get in trouble if I have this conversation about race in my classroom? And I'm like, no, you won't get in trouble. Your district is putting you through this training to tell you to do it. And there is that. Well, you know, this is the strength and the power of white fragility is that people who are not comfortable with grappling with it are, you know, willing to back off and say, oh, that's just too much for me to handle. But I I think it's really important for schools to be bold about, you know, this is who we are and where we're going to go. We're going to deal with, you know, 2019 here in our setting and, 
you know, or whatever year we might be in, you know, we can move forward and we can talk and there are ways to do this well. So um, I appreciate that in your book. No, it's fair. I mean, it's a fair fight. It's a fair fight to convince folks to, um, to, to, to engage race. But I feel like folks, like that's the same mindset in saying it's a fair fight to get people to engage global warming or vaccines. Like, like there's a certain, like someone's got to deal with ignorance. Like someone's got to engage it. It's just all of your energy can't be spent on convincing people who are science deniers or right. all of your energy can't be spent. Someone's got to work with the folks who are actually trying to do right. something. Like, and that's what, you know, the problem with ignorant folks is they suck up all of the attention. Yes. And yes. they masquerade as the entire problem when they're not the entire problem. Part of the issue are people who are really earnestly trying and no one's speaking to them because everyone's speaking to ignorant people. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that you, you, you spend a whole chapter talking about purposes for teachers to um, talk about race in the classroom. And then not all those motivations may necessarily uh, focus on the students' best interests. Uh, do you want to talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit? What are some of those purposes that we maybe need to be aware of? Oh, you mean like our private kettles? Yes. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's, before you speak about purposes, like establishing why you're having any particular race conversation with kids, it's important to do a little bit of self-reflection to make sure that your head is in the right place. Like, I think uh, there's a lot of reasons why we might engage it that don't have anything to do with the kids. Like, we want to be cool, we want to, you know, we like talking to them, we want to unpack our own traumas and et cetera, et cetera. And none of those things, I mean, all those things are worthwhile, but that's for your friends at the bar. It's not for the kids. Like we're, we have a habit sometimes, um, you know, progressive folks have a habit of, uh, unpacking their stuff with the kids. And that's not, you know, that's not our, you know, they're not our racial therapists is what I say in the book. Wow. Like, that's not their job. Yes. Uh, their job, they're, they're there to learn. They're not there to help us work through stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, just thinking through, I list them, I don't have them all memorized, but I list out a few mm-hmm. just, just reasons why, and none of them are wrong. It's just, we have to see to what degree they're seasoning our conversations and mm-hmm. try to turn them down a little bit and make it about the kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds really good. So what were some of the things that perhaps you learned uh, through the course of writing this book? Um, well, I tell you what, to be honest, as much as I talk about the magic teacher stuff, I had no idea just how, I mean, I'm naturally working pretty hard. I had no idea how hard I was working. <laughs> it was one of those, like, <laughs> when you're looking at certain things you do in a classroom. Cause I, the thing about a book is it makes you think about, like, well, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. And I never let myself write anything um, that was that implied that it, I was any better than any other teacher ever at anything. And it was just like I had to do the reflection of why do I do this? And it's like, oh, I do this because that one time this happened. And I try to put all those little stories in the book. And but it made me reflect on like the bones of my practice in ways that I hadn't before. Um, I'd just been doing them for like 
13 years and I had really, I, I came up with why I do it so long ago and I had to remember why. And that was a, that was a fascinating thing. Do you feel like there are things that you changed in your own practice as a result of that self-reflection? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the part in the book where I'm interviewing the two students about, um, how they feel when they're being called on and stuff like that. Like, um, I wasn't like a notorious cold caller, but it was a part of my practice. And then mm-hmm. I spoke to a student about it. And she's like, this is how this practice makes me feel. And I'm like, oh crap, I never want a kid ever feel in this way because mm-hmm. of any decision I'm making in class. I probably should never do that again. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, there's a few instances like that where like I wrote about something like the, the, research that it took to come up with the case studies and the example conversations and stuff made me think about certain things and, you know, impact the way I teach kids now. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, one of the things that we are going to include in the episode is a poem that you talk about um, from um, Veronica and Otter that they do. Um, Could you say a little bit about that and you know, the idea about students putting themselves forward and how we as, you know, their supportive uh, adults in their lives can sort of assist them in that and help them to be ready to do that. You know, when you talk about the part about um, publishing, what's our role and and how to help kids be ready to express themselves in the world? I mean, I think it's important for us to give kids the opportunity to opt into publishing whenever they have um, something powerful to say or whenever the conversations produce some good, um, something good, um, because you want kids thinking, I think we do a good job throughout my school. It's not, it's not just me. It's just, um, because presentation's a core value in science leadership academy. Um, the kids are always in a place where they're presenting their information. And I think that's important for them to see themselves as possible thought leaders, like, when they're 15, 16, they come up with ideas. They need to be in a place where they feel like they can contribute to the adult discourse. And to be frank, oftentimes the stuff they come up with is better than what the adults are talking about. Um, and so they need to be in a place where they feel comfortable not letting someone pat them on their head and call them cute when they have a good idea, but actually um, engaging adult discourse. And so try to give them as many opportunities to do that, which is a little bit easier in the internet age because everyone can blog or podcast or et cetera, et cetera. Like everyone can insert themselves into the discourse um, pretty easily. Um, so um, encouraging that as best as possible. And also just prepping them that the world is also a, it's a fantastic place and it's a nasty place. Um, and just making sure they know when they put their information out there that there's some, some good, there's a lot of good people and there's some terrible people mm-hmm. and the way they'll engage your ideas with that response to that piece showed is, you know, maybe overwhelming positives and then some terrible people and then having them be ready for both. So it sounds like that could possibly be a second book. Are you thinking of a book number two? No, not at all. I have a book. <laughs> I don't know. With everything that you do, all of those duties that I listed, I couldn't believe it when I was looking at your website that you are taking care of all this. And then add, and writing a book to all of it. It's amazing. Yeah, and I have a one-year-old, so no, absolutely not. 
<laughs> Give it a few years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, as we're starting to bring this to a close, are there some resources that you would like to put out to our listening audience uh, that we should know about or that they should know about? Uh, any upcoming conferences or workshops that you would recommend? I have a few speaking engagements. Nothing that I can really plug here. Do you have something that you're reading right now or listening to oh, that I'm, you can recommend? Like right now I'm reading Locking Up Our Own from James Farmer. Um fascinating book about um, African-Americans and the criminal justice system. If you need to read, like everyone who's going to engage these conversations needs to read um, Stamps from the Beginning, um, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. Um, everyone needs to read that. Like, uh, I didn't realize the degrees to which I was not equipped <laughs> to have conversations until I read that. Like, I thought I knew something. Those books are that book's fantastic. Uh, White Fragility, White Rage. Um, those are a lot of the books I'm working my way through. Um, the Color of Law. Okay, um, that one's really good. Yeah, I'm reading White People. The book's just called White People. Um, it's, it's the history of it's the history of white people and the concept of whiteness. I'm reading a bunch of books. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, Mr. K, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate your insights and uh, sharing with us how, you know, some of the primary principles in your book. And um, I really would recommend everyone that wants to elevate their practice in this area to, to go out there and read it because it's just so worthwhile. Well, thank you so much for that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And is there a website or? Um, no, we, no. I've pretty much just kept everything up on um, Stenhouse's website. Okay. Um, I have my kind of bread and butter because I'm working on a couple of new keynotes. So the kind of bread and butter one that I have, I put up on, on um, uh, if you search me on YouTube, it should be one of the first things that come up is, is um, Penny Keynote. It's also on my, it's on, um, on my Twitter handle. Okay. Um, it's, it's up, uh, up at the top. I have, it's a pinned post, but it's when I spoke at UPenn. Um, so I got, um, you know, I, I got the slide deck and I put subtitles on it and everything. Okay. So okay. Uh, we'll make sure to now. put a link on that on our, yeah, sure. on our episode page. All right. Awesome. Well, again, we certainly thank you for your time and we look forward to hearing more about you and um, perhaps we'll speak again. We might even get you to this area to the Midwest. All right, sounds good. Thank you. This has been Tony Neal, your host. And Deborah Bullman, today's co-host and podcast producer and director. Bringing you Just Talk Educational Equity. Thank you to Mr. Matthew R.K., author of Not Light But Fire, for joining us on the line today and contributing to our conversation. Listeners, we appreciate that you have joined us for this episode, and we invite you to share your comments, questions, and suggestions on our website at EEC, the number four justice.com, and leave us an email there on our contact page. Also, and this is important, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please find us on iTunes and leave us a rating. You can help people find us that way, and we appreciate your support. Just Talk has been brought to you by Educational Equity Consultants, a company that provides training to build the capacity of individuals, schools, and other organizations to address racism in ways that enable all people 
to reclaim their inherent intelligence and nobility. Recording, editing, music, and logo provided by Alvin Zamudio. So if you're a teacher or school leader, a student, a parent, or a community member concerned about social justice, please remember, just talk. talk.